For those of you who remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. We have two passages, uh, Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12, and then our passage for our primary focus, 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 35. In our series, We Are His, we are investigating gospel principles for singleness and marriage and parenting and sex and life together in the household and family of God. And this morning, we will be looking at this principle of calling, in particular, how it relates to God's gift of singleness. Let's look at Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7. This is God's Word. The disciples said to Jesus, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry... You have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as, they, as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, We ask that you would abound to us with your grace and kindness, that we would understand your calling on our lives, whether we are single or married, old or young, that we would have your spirit secure our undivided devotion to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to consider calling this morning as it relates to all of us, but in particular, how it relates to God's gift of singleness. Although the way the church has approached this issue 
hasn't always made it sound like this is such a great thing. All too often, the church's approach to dealing with singleness is broken. We, we tack singleness onto the, the end of a sermon series, which is why I'm dealing with it early in this sermon series, as if to make the point that this is, this is not just something that's sort of secondhand and, and you know, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. Sometimes we, we apply things to singles as an, as an afterthought. Oh, oh yeah, by the way, this applies to you too. Or, or we address singleness in terms of finding the, the tips and tricks to, to get God to give you a spouse so that you can be really happy, whatever that means. Or we see in it an opportunity to recruit super volunteers to do the work of ministry so that our poor parents and married people don't have to worry about it. So singles, you have extra time on your hands. Like, let's get busy, right? Help, help us out. And yet, when we do this, we, we, we neglect the true nature of singleness. We forget that, that there are all sorts of reasons people might find themselves unmarried. Maybe you're young and have not yet found a spouse. Maybe you are widowed and have, in grief, seen your loved one go to the Lord. Maybe through hardship, trial, and tribulation and difficulty, you find yourself separated, single. All of us, at one time or another, have to deal with this. We overlook the causes of singleness. We often also overlook what Scripture actually says about the topic and how Scripture doesn't speak so much to the status of singleness as it does, as it speaks the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to those who are single, as well as to those who are married to the old, to the young, to the rich, to the poor, to the widowed, to the orphan, to the fatherless. What Scripture does is it it takes people in whatever status, whatever station of life they're in, and it brings good news to bear on them. So what good news might the Lord have for you where you are today? where he's called you to be. So what we're going to do this morning is is look very briefly at what these passages are teaching. I'm just going to do sort of a a lightning bird's eye view of what these passages are saying, and we'll find that they're saying things to you no matter where you are in life. And then spend some time just pulling out Several different ways we can live these truths out in our lives, no matter where we are, no matter where the Lord has called us to be. So first, let's look at what are these passages teaching us. There are three things, I think, that we see here. When you look at verses 25 and through 28 of 1 Corinthians 7, what you see is the Apostle Paul bringing God's wisdom to bear 
on a broken world. He spent the first part of this chapter laying out what God has commanded, the, the truths that, that the Lord has given that are unshakable and unchangeable, and, and what that means for the lives of the people in Corinth. But, but now he's turning to some specific questions that they've raised about their circumstances. And he says, I don't have a command from the Lord for you, but I do have some words that are trustworthy to give. I give my judgment as one who has received the Lord's mercy. And so he is applying God's wisdom to the particular circumstances of the church in Corinth. And what we find is that there is some deep and present distress that the church is enduring. We don't really know what it is. Paul doesn't tell us. It's not clear from the context. All sorts of people are trying to guess. Is it uh, uh, rumors of wars? Is it economic distress? Has there been an earthquake? Many commentators think that there is a, a, a harsh regional famine that's calling into question, just like, is our city even going to survive this? And so the people of Corinth, are asking Paul, what do we do? I'm betrothed. I'm, I'm engaged. Like, do, I, do we get married? Do we not get married? Like, what? Do you have wisdom for us? And Paul says, there are all sorts of things that we can consider. And I'm not laying any heavy restraint upon you. But in my judgment, right now, given the severity of whatever this crisis is, now might not be a great time to marry. might have been a, a good word for them to hear. It might have been a hard word for them to hear. It might have been both. Given how distressed they were in their circumstances, to have any wisdom from the Lord is helpful. But, but Paul doesn't leave them there with just a, his pious advice. Ah, maybe you should all be single like me. He, he takes them deeper into the gospel. And he shifts his perspective, not just to the present crisis, but to the coming cataclysmic return of the Lord. And what the world to come says about how they should be living in their present lives. Right? That whatever crisis we endure, it's always an opportunity to reflect on what it means for the Lord to come again. You see the prophet Joel do this. When a locust plague comes and devastates the crops, he says, oh, you think this is bad. What about when God comes back? What does that mean for us? And Paul says, yes, this distress is deep and the grief is real, but it ought to remind us that the present form of this world is passing away and our time is short. And what he's not saying here is that Jesus is, might come back tomorrow or, or the next day or, or, or that it's, it's this, that Paul knows exactly when it is going to be. But what Paul is saying is we don't know when it's going to be. And it might be today and it might be tomorrow. And the time is short and we shouldn't live like we have this indefinite period of time to just sort of carry on as if Jesus' return has no bearing on how we live now. And so whatever it is about your life, it ought to be tempered by the hope of eternity. And so as Paul says these strange rhetorical things. Let those who have wives live as if they had none. What? That, like, that seems to be the opposite of what he just said in the previous chapter. He's not saying, leave your wives and don't pay any attention to them. But he's saying, like, don't hold 
so tightly to the things of this world. See your wives and see your marriage and see your responsibility and calling in the context of the Lord's imminent return. How should Christ's return shape the way you treat your spouse? Let those who have no wives, or let those who mourn as if they are not mourning. Paul elsewhere says that the, the suffering that we have endured is nothing compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in the sons of God. Don't let your mourning deter you from seeing that hope of glory. Those who rejoice as though we're not rejoicing. If the, the grief and sorrow of this world can't compare to the glory, the, the joys and, 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 and wonder of this world can't compare. Don't hold so tightly to the good things of this world that you miss the glory that awaits when we get to see Jesus face to face. As though those who buy as though they had no goods, as those, those who deal with the world as, they had, as if they had no dealings with it. All of these things he's saying, look, all of this, it's good and it's wondrous and God made it, but God is bringing something new to bear. And the present form of this world is passing away. Let the way you live reflect that. So don't cling to worldly things as if that's all there is. Live in light of the coming glory. And to do so is to learn what it means to live with undivided devotion to Christ. This is similar to what Jesus was saying. He's saying, look, some people are born eunuchs through physical or uh, whatever they're just born and they are never married. They're never able to marry through the circumstances of their life, through their physical condition or whatever. It's just not possible for them. Some are made single by the brokenness of this world, by men. Some, because they see the glory that is to come, choose to devote their whole being to the Lord and to the Lord alone and not not to indulge in marriage, but Jesus himself says not everyone is able to receive that. That's a calling. God gives that to some, but not to all. But God calls all to that undivided devotion to the Lord. This is what Paul is saying in verses 32 through 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. That's what Paul says. And the world generates a ton of crises, a ton of worries, a ton of things to be concerned about, a ton of things that would fill us with anxiety. But the single person is going to have anxieties. The married person is going to have anxieties. They're just going to be different. What he wants isn't for everybody to be single and isn't for everybody to be married. What he wants is wherever you are, whoever you are, whether you're married or single, to live in devotion to the Lord your God. Do not be so consumed with your own status that you, that, that you just indulge your selfish desires and never serve the Lord. What matters is your life 
in him. So what does that mean? Like how do we like like how do we work this out? What does this mean for us? I want to consider briefly six implications. There are a ton more. I mean, if you have questions, we can grab coffee and talk about them. But let me just consider six things this means for us, whether we're talking about singleness or marriage, just life together. And the first is this idea of goodness. This truth that God only gives good gifts to his children. Let me say that again in case you missed it. God only gives good gifts to his children. And if we have any good gift, it is from him. But the brokenness of this world and the sinfulness of our hearts can distract us from that. And it can make even the best, kindest gifts from the Lord feel feel as less than the best. Maybe you are unmarried. And your heart is wondering, why, God, have you left me here alone? Why haven't you given me the desires of my heart? And there is a temptation in that way of thinking to think that God has called you to and given you something subpar. That he has placed you in circumstances without the goodness and kindness of his blessing. Others of you are thinking, Lord, why have you stuck me with this Sinner who refuses to grow and change and repent and makes my life so difficult. And there's a reminder here. We can't lose sight of what God's concerns are. He has a plan that reaches to eternity that will wipe every tear from the eyes of his people, that will heal them from every sorrow, that will bring about such glorious and an inconceivable redemption that the scriptures themselves speak of it in terms of no eye has seen or ear even heard what God has in store for his people. And wherever he has placed you, whatever he has given you, whatever he is calling you to, it is in that context, not your personal peace and prosperity. Sometimes we we lose sight of how deep sin runs in our own hearts and how much we ourselves lack goodness. And yet the Lord is kind and patient and gentle to send people into our lives and circumstances into our lives to refine us, to sharpen us, 
to mold us more and more in his likeness and image. And he gives us the strength and he gives us his spirit and he gives us his wisdom to help us know how to navigate those things. But when we lose sight of what God is working, what God is calling us to, what God is giving us, when we, we begin to think that our momentary concerns are greater than God's great good purposes. We begin to reject his goodness to us. We begin to chafe in our circumstances. We begin to speak ill of our good God. We must remember that even though he allowed a distressful set of circumstances to befall the Corinthians, he still abounded to them with goodness with wisdom. He was still at work in them. He was still present. His spirit hadn't abandoned them. They hadn't fallen out of his plans and purposes. God is only going to give good gifts to his people. And marriage is one of those good gifts. Marriage is good. God created it. There is a sense in which we can say that we were made for marriage and community. But in a broken and sinful world, marriage is also broken. And it doesn't fix all of your problems. Sometimes it is a mercy that the Lord calls you to a place of singleness. Sometimes the church talks in terms of married people like being like first tier, like, like we're, we're the top of the lineup. And, and the singles are sort of like the, the, the bench, you know, like, hey, yo, hey, we need somebody to sub for nursery. And you get called up to the big leagues or whatever. And, and that's, that's not the case. And, and, and I hope you hear in Paul's Address, like, in no way is he demeaning marriage. He's also trying to be realistic. There are worldly troubles because marriage is broken in a broken world. And he would spare some of the Corinthians from those troubles because they've got enough. And sometimes we talk in terms of, well, when you get married, then your addiction to porn, it just goes away. And your problem with Loneliness, it just disappears. And your struggles with anger, you don't have them anymore because when you get married, you, you, all of your problems go away and you just live in this life of bliss and joy forever and ever. And all of the married people in the room are going like, I hope I've never said that, but we sort of present the air as if that's true and it's not. Because sin finds its origin in our own hearts. And, and, it, and wherever you go, there you are. Whether singled or married, whether in trial or, or in good times, you are a broken person and you are surrounded by broken people. And we need God to be at work in us. And if we would see our relationships 
know any true and lasting healing, if we would see our marriages restored, if we would see our singles living lives of of confidence, boldly living in light of who they are in Christ, then we, we can't talk in terms of, well, when you reach this status or you reach this status, we need to be focused on who our God is to us and what it looks like for us to be devoted to him wherever we are in life. Because that's our calling. Our calling in this life isn't you need to be married or not married or ultimately our calling isn't these things or you need to be an engineer or a teacher or you need to do this or you need to do that or you need to learn to play an instrument or not to learn to play an instrument. Like Our calling is to be God's people who are full of love for our God so that we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. And that is a calling. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or what your status or station is. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. This is a calling for all of God's people. There is no separate lesser calling for singles and some higher, greater calling for marrieds. All of us, in whatever station in life, we are called to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And what Paul is calling the Corinthians to and reminding them that the time is short is not to put off living for the Lord in the here and now. Where are your opportunities right now to see your devotion to the Lord renewed? To, to love one another with the very love of Christ. I mean, look around like, the, the singles among us, some of you are college students, some of you are not, some of you are widows, some of you are not. Families, do we leave them to themselves, alone? Or do we live in light of the reality that God has, has called us together into his household to be his people? Do we have them into our homes? Do we make them a part of our lives? Do we, are they just a second thought to us? Or do we abound with love to one another so that every member has a place and knows they are loved and cared for? And singles, do you have eyes to see the opportunities that God has put before you to live for him, to serve him where you are, whether on the college campus or in the workplace, in the church, in your community? Maybe you do have some extra free time. Maybe you don't. But you still have a high and holy calling to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And so what that means is when we're trying to figure out how to live in this broken world, we need discernment. We need God's wisdom. Because there are some things that are sinful, You remember Paul said, look, I think it's better if you don't get married, but if you do get married, you haven't sinned. And if you don't get married, you haven't sinned. Like There are some things that are just wrong and bad no matter what. There's a a saying in in 
Reformed world about, about the, the holiness of every vocation, that every vocation, every job that you could pursue, that, that it's a high and holy calling, but, but we mean that in a certain context. Like, being a hitman is not a high and holy calling. Some things are just sin. Adultery, neglect, anger, malice, rage, selfishness. Paul's not encouraging any of these sorts of things among his people. But then there's just wisdom. I don't, I'm not trying to figure out whether I should sin or not. I'm trying to figure out, should I get married or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I buy this house or not? Should I make this commitment or not? Should, and I just need wisdom and discernment. And, and Paul gives some of that wisdom and discernment to these people with his own advice, but also bringing them back to the unchanging truth of the gospel. That, that ultimately what ought to inform our decisions is it's who God is and what he's called us to be. And, he, and you can be what he's called you to be in that job or that job or that job, married or single. But you don't have to make those decisions. You don't have to find that discernment alone. We're here together. He takes them to the word. He gives them apostolic counsel. Elsewhere in this letter, he encourages them to prayer, to seek God's wisdom directly, and to live life together in a community that loves and supports and encourages one another. And, And you will find that as we spur one another on towards love and good deeds in Christ, as we are conformed more and more into the likeness and image of Christ, as we learn more and more of what it means to love our God and our neighbor with the very love of Christ, that there is a freedom where we can make whatever decision we want because we are living out of that divine love. Marry or don't marry. Take this job or don't take that job. But the more you're conformed to Christ, Paul says elsewhere, you're transformed in the renewing of your mind. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You yourself will know where God is calling you to go and what God is calling you to be. The world would keep you from that. And so it throws worries and anxieties and troubles at us again and again and again. And it would distract us from God's calling to be his people in this place. Look, Paul, he doesn't say it outright, but but he makes the case, you, you can't get rid of the sources of worry. I'm single and I'm worried. I'm worried, am I making the Lord happy? Is the Lord keeping me from marriage because I've done something to displease him? I'm, I'm worried about what he wants me to do with my life. I'm, I'm wor- well, Paul doesn't say, well, just don't think about the Lord at all. I'm married. We have some troubles in our marriage. My kids, 
there's some problems there. I, there are health concerns. There, my parents are ailing. Like they're, they're, you can't, don't get, Paul doesn't say, just get rid of your parents. Just walk away from your wife. Don't worry about these things. You can't get rid of the sources of anxiety. What he's saying is, I want you to be free from the anxiety. Don't live as a slave to the pressures of this broken world. Live out of your calling from Christ. He wants not to lay restraints upon them. Do this, don't do this, see if you measure up. To secure their undivided devotion to the Lord. Live out of God's calling. Live out of his wisdom and more and more and more. You will find that as anxieties arise, you will find in the midst of that trouble and grief and trial, peace that passes understanding because you know the Lord is with you and he's coming again to set all things right. That, that is the key. That is the calling. Wherever you are, whoever you are, God is in the business of equipping his people for the world to come. And the present things of this world, the present form of this world is passing away. And with it, it's brokenness and it's misery and it's sin. And if you would be made fit for the world to come, you need God to refine you. You need God to prepare you. You need God to be at work in you, equipping you for that everlasting glory. He doesn't wait. He's at work doing that now. So where has he placed you? How does that future glory change the way you live now? Do you seek a wife or a husband? That's not sinful. But seek that in the Lord, resting in his care for you. You have a wife or a husband. Don't seek to be free from them. But seek to live out the very love of Christ in that relationship. You have troubles and and trials and you're struggling to, to find wisdom, to know what it is God would have you do, then know that no matter what has befallen you, he has not abandoned his people. He is with you. And he surrounded you with, with all of his means of grace. The word, sacrament, prayer, the fellowship of the saints, with wisdom from God himself and the Holy Spirit, and wisdom from his people. We can help spur one another on towards good things. This is your calling. Whether you are married or single, this is your glory. This is your joy. This is where you find contentment and peace and unending happiness. It is being connected to Christ, our Lord, our Savior, who is coming again to get his people to set all things right. Let us all live in that light. Let us all live 
in response to that calling. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we don't have the wisdom that we need. We can be blinded by our own sin and idolatry. We can become as slaves to the wisdom of this world. We can lose sight of who you are and what you are doing. We can begin to despise where you have placed us and to think that you have forgotten us, to forget your goodness. Lord, give us eyes to see this good news. Whatever trial, whatever tribulation we endure, whatever station in life we are in or may be in, wherever we may be, wherever you may take us, you are at work securing our undivided devotion to you. You are at work restoring the world, redeeming the world to make it as it should be, free from sin and misery. Help us to live in light of that good news, to live in light of that great calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.